I'm Brandon Steiner, and this is Unplugged with Brandon Steiner. Bob Clappish, New York Times writer. He's written six books, but you've seen him. He's written in, in, you know, Daily News, The Post. I mean, you've seen him everywhere. He has covered baseball religiously before I even got into this thing, and I'm 30 years in. Welcome, Bob. How Thank are you? Thank you for having me. Now I really can say I've been everywhere now that I'm here. Well, I appreciate you coming up because sometimes we don't always get the media to come up, and they're probably looking at us like what we're doing is so strange. And then when you come up here, at least it makes a little bit of a sense of it when we give you the tour, how all this stuff oh, comes together. I love together. the atmosphere here. I mean, Thank it's you. all baseball. It's great. We'll talk a little Mets, but let's, let's talk about your book, uh, Inside the Empire, because Yankee baseball is always topical around this country. Why'd you write the book? Who's that book for? Um, what, well, what's 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 the, the general gist? The book is for young fans and and older fans who remember George Steinbrenner. It's there's really a two pronged narrative here. The first is the 2018 season, which uh, was a pretty good year, a hundred win season. Actually, the book was supposed to come out this year. It was supposed to be about the 2019 season because we saw all the young players on the way up. Uh, about three, four years ago, and figured this would be a, a good book to capture the, the the reemergence of the next core four or five or whatever. But the Yankees had that great season in 2017, almost get to the World Series, and then they inquired they inquired Gian, Giancarlo Stanton. Last January, they sold a half a million tickets. The Yankees, without even a, a first pitch of you know, spring training, not even spring training had started, and the Yankees were almost you know, half a million up on ticket sales. There was a surge in interest. So my co-writer and I, Paul Salatara from Rolling Stone, said, okay, we got to do this book about the 2018 Yankees. If we wait, we're going to be late. So we wrote a book on a di- based on a diary day by day of last season on top of the framework of how the Yankees have changed, how the business model has changed, how Brian Cashman has turned around the George Steinbrenner era Yankees and made it his Yankees. And he did it on the fly. He basically did made the Queen Mary do a tight U-turn and didn't have to break it down, didn't have to finish last like the Red Sox, like the Cubs, like the Astros. This turnaround was done midstream and kept the Yankees competitive. I thought it was one of the greatest accomplishments in, in modern baseball. It really history. is amazing. He's been doing this for 20 years, and I said to Brian, when the book finally was, was launched, and by the way, we had five publishers bidding on this last January because they love the idea of a Yankee book, a real inside the empire. You don't Yankee see book. many of them, and especially it, ones that are centered where they're not trying to crush a particular player <laughs> or team. You know, just a general. Because the Yankees are a fascinating business. They're a great business model. And I said to Brian, look, nobody's really told your story here. I mean, you've been overshadowed by Joe Torre, by Derek Jeter, by Alex Rodriguez, by by everybody. And nobody really knows how you have done it, how you have lasted. This is your 21st year, and you don't get, you haven't gotten fired. Everybody in New York gets, New York gets fired, even a Hall of Famer, Joe Torre, fired. But tell me, and I'm a big Cashman fan, so I'm biased. I'm not gonna. But tell me, like, what's the secret to his sauce? If you kind of give it to me in a in a in a nutshell, like, what what makes him, what enables him to be able to do what he's done and get away with it and 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 do it consistently? Well, he's been two general managers, really. One was the, under George for the first 10 years, and he had to play by George's rules, although he knew how to handle George. Unlike all the other people who have come in to work for George, he did not go head on. He picked his spots. I mean, every other GM or manager has gone in and said, I'm going to teach George a lesson. I'm, gonna, I'm the boss here, and I'm going to show him where he's wrong. And you know how that ends. Not Brian, well. Brian did not do that. He waited to pick his spots. When he, when he wanted to draw a line in the sand, he did. He stood up to George, and George actually respected him for that. 
Now, the last 10 years of Cashman have been completely different because now, instead of throwing away money at millions, hundreds of millions of dollars on teams that didn't win, on free agents who didn't produce on the back end of their contract, now the Yankees have invested in analytics, advanced analytics, player development, scouting. They have these academies all over the the Latin American uh, universe. And the Yankees are now everything that George was not. I mean, I wonder. I sometimes wonder what George would think of this modern-day rendition of the Yankees, but this is now definitely Brian's imprint. I think George, you know, knowing Mr. Steinbrenner a little bit, like, if it helps him win. Like, he was he was all about the winning. I thought he was more flexible, but he was just the ultimate promoter. People, you know, that, that George's ability to promote was amazing. Whether he would have loved the analytics would probably be questionable, but there's nobody that can promote, dominate back pages, and that's the stuff that doesn't always get onto the bottom line, but it's what, why the brand is what it is today. Well, he's a, he was a genius Man. businessman. I mean, he Amazing. was the first one to figure out you cannot run a team. You can't make a profit on just ticket sales and hot dogs. You've got to find another revenue stream. He was the first one to think of a regional sports network. Yes Network beat everybody to the punch by 10 years. That was George's idea. And the out on the MSG deal. Absolutely. Even that was a record Even setter. Even that, right? And, and the yeah, other revenue I mean, streams. Like, and the Adidas deal. The Adidas Legends. I mean, Legends is a huge, I mean, the catering is a huge moneymaker yeah. for the Yankees, and it all came from George's brain. You think that Cashman now has the, is he able, to, does he have more freedom to really run things the way he wants at, at this point? Yes, he does. I mean, the difference between George and his son, Hal, is that Hal trusts Brian. He basically says, whatever you think is right, come to me with what your recommendation, but 99 times out of 100, Hal is on board with what George, with what Brian does. And second of all, Hal doesn't go around th- firing people or threaten to fire people. That's not how he motivates. He's in the background. He's a very, very shy guy. As domineering and as overbearing as George was, Hal is completely the opposite, probably because that's the way George was. I'm, You know, it's just a little story from the book. Uh, you know, George, and, and you never this- see inside... Because I, I, you know, being a partner with the Yankees and my small little piece of Yankee Steiner, it's just amazing to me what I've learned from working with the Yankees over the last 14 years. And you rarely see that much written about it. You know, you don't see a lot of stories about the business, the marketing, the promotion. This this book really is the first t- thing I've seen in a long time about any any of this stuff. Well, that's partly because yeah. Hal wants it that way. He He does not want to be on the back pages. He doesn't want people writing about him. So I finally got a one-on-one with him, and I said, listen, Hal, I have to make a confession. I started in this business, a 23-year-old of the New York Post, covering your father, and that meant putting in a phone call to American Shipbuilding in in Cleveland and waiting for him to call back, and there was no cell phones, call phone, nothing, texting. You sat there at home waiting for that call back, and George would call you back, not even with a secretary, not even somebody saying, hold for Mr. Steinbrenner. It was George, and he didn't say, hello, Bob. He just started talking. And you were just, it was up to you to catch up. Now, some days he'd call you, some days he wouldn't call you, just depending on which back page you wanted to be on. So I said to Hal, your dad really scared the hell out of me. And Hal starts roaring in laughter. He says, well, that's funny, because he scared the hell out of me, too. And that captures Hal completely. And that's why there's not a lot written about, there hasn't been a lot written about the the behind the scenes pulling back the curtain because Hal is such an invisible figure. Do you think there's all of a sudden and, and with the with the transformation, do you think there's a lot of pressure on this Yankee team now all of a sudden? There is no more growth room. This is a team that's expected to win. I could even see it over these la- the last week. There's like no room to get on a little losing streak, couple injuries, everybody's panicked. They're they're expected to be great. They are, uh, and they are great. I mean, they won 100 games last year. I mean, there was actually some people on Twitter today asking me, is this going to be Aaron Boone's final week 
as a Yankee manager. I'm thinking, my God, that's insane. He won 100 games last the year. Two at bat, year. The two at-bats from definitely advancing past the Red Sox. Right, and, and they got everyone hurt this year, and, some, and they're 6-9, and nine, and people want to fire Aaron Boone. So the expectations are sky high. It's just hard to win now because everybody in baseball spends money intelligently. You know, every, there's four or five teams that are just as good as the Yankees, spend money, not as much as money as the Yankees, but, you know, the days of the Yankees fleecing a bunch of stupid GMs, that's gone. I mean, it's a really enlightened industry, and it's hard to win. Yeah. I do think the Yankees have the talent to win, go to the World Series this year, barring ex, uh, excessive injuries, but it, there's no guarantee. You need Soriano to do it. Get back to the Mets for a minute here. Surprising you that all of a sudden that Brody's able to put this together and it seems like there's like this winning attitude, or they were eleven and one last year. I think uh, it's going to be. I think they're going to be in a dogfight all the way through, which is you know it's a tough division. It's a tough division, and there's no runaway favorite. I think the Mets will be there, you know, in August and September, and which means who knows? Maybe they get to October. I think Brody has taken, has really, really tried to change the formula here. He's taken a huge risk, whereas other general managers didn't dare what Brody's done he's decided to become friends with Jeff Wilpon has made a personal relationship with Jeff they played golf together I mean this the idea of making the GM was months and months maybe even a year or two in the making forged on the golf links as one friend to another now it's there's a risk because if the you know if the Mets start tanking in May you know Jeff's going to forget about that friendship and turn off the spigot but right now Brody has Jeff's and the Wilpon family's trust and goodwill, and I think he's used that to do a little outside-the-box thinking, you know, go out on a limb, experiment a little bit, and it's worked. And, it, you know, I tell Yankee fans all the time, you should root for the Mets to be good. It's a better baseball oh, environment. It's amazing when this town's I mean, cooking. Absolutely, and, you know, Yogi, Yogi Berry used to tell me, the best times in New York is when the Dodgers and the Yankees play in the World Series every year. So he said, root for the Mets so we can beat them in the World Series. You know? I remember they were arguing over Reyes and, and Jeter, you know, right. who's better, David Wright and... and Oh, God. But what do you think about the state of baseball overall? You've covered this sport forever, and there's so much talk about shortening the game, and then you see all these rule changes now. If you were to implement one thing, is there something that you really think that the game really needs, or do you keep it the same? Well, the one thing I think baseball needs is it's probably unattainable. I would certainly shorten the time between innings, you know. Um Two and a half minutes is just too much. I mean, you, the, the gift should be there instead of trying to mess around with the actual game. Absolutely, uh, I don't mind a pitch clock if it's done reasonably. Although, if you, I would probably suspend it in the postseason. I mean, if you think about it, Game Seven of the World Series, tying run, bottom of the ninth, bases loaded. You want your pitcher hurrying up with a pitch that will decide the season? Of course not. But I, I don't mind the idea of sort of tweaking pitches to to take, you know, to shave off a little time between pitches. But it, to me, it's the commercials. I don't like the idea of limiting the number of trips to the mound or limiting the number of, I should say, limiting the number of relievers you can use in any, because that mm -hmm. affects strategy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what the Yankees have done and a lot of teams have done is caught up to the idea that a baseball game now is more than just a game. It's entertainment for millennials that people no longer sit in the stands keeping score. They're on their phones. So give them a place to watch the game standing up. Like little wine bars, you know. I mean, like it's, in center field. In center field, yeah. That's how you do it. The Yankees restructured center uh, Yankee Stadium a year ago for that sole purpose, so people will watch the game standing up. It's not like it's not as intense. But I'm still old school. I mean, but you know, I'm I'm arguing over. You think he's throwing a curve next pitch? That doesn't happen. It's not happening anymore. No, it doesn't yeah. happen. Not for the fans in the stands. That's over. But 
I'm still hopeful that, you know, I love the camaraderie you have in your section, but I'm a fan of cutting down, like going to soccer and run the promotions, the advertisements throughout the game. I'd rather compromise the screen and keep the game moving and shorten in between innings. Well, I, I love soccer. Yeah. I mean, I'm an NYCFC fan. And, you know, there are Yankee staffers, you know, because they are have the, the business, um, yeah. uh, business um, relationship with the team. Yankee staffers who have to work the NYC games. I mean, it's just part of their job description. So they're there on the days the Yankees are on the road and NYC is playing. And they've said to me, it is the greatest thing in the world because there's no rainouts. The game is over. The soccer match is over in two hours. Running time, 20 minutes since the half, and you can you can plan around it. And it's just constant action. I'm good for like two and a half to three. It's when things start carrying over. I love the 6.30 starts that they implemented. But, I, you know, I would like to know that, like, I love the hockey. You come in, bam. You know, it's not every two minutes and all the, the jockeying before, you know, you wasted 10 minutes. That's what I'd like to see with baseball a little bit. I don't mind those last rings taking a little longer. But do I need to wait all this time between the first and second inning? Oh, that's what I was saying. Smooth I mean, the time along. between the innings yeah. can definitely be shortened. However, the rejoinder is that's where the teams make their money on commercials, you know, and they have to have that. Run them, there, run that, you know, run that taper like they do in the soccer, though. So you just keep running the new, the new promo. I'm, I'd be all for that. Yeah, I'm a fan of that. You're working for the Times now. That I would say you've always been a serious writer, but this is probably your most serious day-to-day job. I would say so. I uh, mean, now, it, what's it? What, what's that like? Because we have a lot of entrepreneurs out there that are, that love, that are just getting their careers started. A lot of students out there that watch. What's the difference fundamentally? You write for uh, a publication like the New York Times uh, compared to the Post. Yeah, I would say it's night and day. I mean, you, <laughs> you know, I, I would say writing for the Post, you are writing for that back page headline. It is all about that back page headline, and your opinion. And your opinion is, you know, they not only do they. Are you allowed to express your opinion? You are encouraged to do it, especially as a columnist. I mean, you have to be out there with a sharp take on everything that's going on in front of you. And your use of the language. You have the freedom to be as creative as you want, turn the phrases as you want. Um, so you can have some fun with it. I mean, that, the ph- philosophy of the Post is is sports writing, reading sports, should be as fun as watching it. And, you know, we used to say back in the day that we were the last stop in, in journalism. We were the Oakland Raiders of journalism, and we kind of wore that as a badge. Now, the Times, obviously, is a much more buttoned-down operation, and they take sports seriously. The tone of the writing and the reporting is much more serious. It's great prestige, obviously the most impactful newspaper in the world, and I'm proud to say that my byline appears there. But little things that I do that used to do at the Post, at the Daily News, sometimes don't get in the Times. For instance... I call Giancarlo Stanton, just up between commas, I call him a circus strongman. And that didn't make it into the first edition. And I said to the editor, I said, uh, you, didn't, you didn't like that? And he says, oh, no, that was a little borderline. And, okay, I said, he says, but if you feel strongly, we'll put it back in. I said, yeah, I kind of put it back in. That's the way I write. It's the way I, I express myself. So it went back in. But there is, a, there is a, a definite difference in philosophy and how one uses the language at the times than a tabloid. And it's, it's kind of fun finding finding the formula different style i'm sure, sure. now also the are, do you get to write about the business of sport in there too as well or is it mostly just strictly right now it's the, it's it's right off the games and features about the players you know that may broaden over time but right now uh the yankees and mets you know the focus is what the team is doing on a day-by-day basis i know you covered this team because i remember you we, you know it's when i started my career and i've seen you all the time around this team the 86 mets the darling book your overall take on that is interesting. Is it what it's made out to be, or is it is it played out? 
Well, I have to say one thing about Darling's book is I went immediately to the index to see if my name was in there because I was. I mean, I was in the middle of that. I mean, nobody. I, I mean, you covered that 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 team religiously. I was probably the best I mean, way was, to put it. I was a twenty-six player. I mean, I, look, I was single. I was the same age as the players. Because you were one of the few media guys when we had our parties. It wasn't a lot of. I mean, you were you were like you crossed over that line, like you were at little private parties, get-togethers. I was there. I mean, I well, yeah. one little anecdote about Darling. I mean, there was one time we were in a bar in Pittsburgh, and you know, Darling and I were having a beer, and a couple of girls came up to meet Darling, and they never he never really introduced me. They just assumed that I was with Ronnie, and he called me, you know, addressing by name, Bob, Bobby, Bobby, and after a while, they just thought that I was Bob Ojeda. And because, you know, we sort of looked like each other back yeah, in the day, you know, yeah, right? see that, yeah. So that's the kind of relationship that players had with the press back then, that we were all sort of under the same umbrella. And if you happened to be the same age then or played baseball like I did at Columbia and I was sort of in the same cut of the same mold, it was a fun time. Now, to get to your question, I think most people have heard enough stories about how crazy it was. I mean... There's more. There's uh, believe me. There are more stories to tell. The craziest of the crazy stories have not been told and probably should not be told. And I think the public would probably like it left alone. They want to have this legacy of this great team of what they did on the field. And I don't know if people need to know any more about what happened after after the games. I agree. I agree with you 100. percent That was special, though. Only the only thing about that team is they should have won a little more. 88 for sure. Uh, 88 for sure. And yeah. God, 88 was. I, I cried. The rain and the bad weather and was, everything bad that could happen. They just, were cursed. Oh, you know, I mean, it was definitely gracious. not 86, even though they had they should have won. I mean, it it, it, it it seemed like the stars were all aligned, but they were not. They had they had all the pieces that you needed. And then and after that, what was worse about losing is that that's when they started breaking everything up. And well, they, that really they, they was the end. Ship. They yeah, by 89, you could see it was starting to come apart. And by 91, 92, the 80s, not only were the Mets that era over, but the 80s in New York were, was over. I mean, the Mets were representative of New York at the time. I mean, for about three, four years. Yeah, between 85 and 88, 89. I mean, they, you, ever, you ever see anything bigger than Straw? Nothing. I mean, I mean and, Straw was like Jeter. I mean, level walk down the street. Well, here's the thing. One of the things is that Jeter, Jeter was the one who turned New York into a Yankee town again because up at that point, the Mets owned the city. I mean, they were on a first name basis with. Everybody on that team was Mookie, Lenny, Max, Straw, you know, Kid. New Yorkers loved the Mets, and, you know, there's still a belief that New York is a National League town if, they, if the Mets could ever rise to that level. But it was Jeter who turned that around in 96, starting in 96. Yeah, the 96 team had a huge – it was just Donnie Baseball really holding on to, you know, holding on to the scraps. But, but you think when you think about what's about to happen, though, can you see these teams heating up now? And having back to that rivalry, is that good for baseball? Oh, it's great for baseball. Amazing. You know, I, the, I think the Mets are definitely better, and you can just see that they're doing things a little smart. I mean, they have the best pitcher in baseball in the Grom. They have one of the most exciting young players right now in Peter Alonzo. Uh, if they ever get Cespedes back, who knows if he's ever coming back. But if you ever put Cespedes in that lineup, you know, that's a formidable, you know, a formidable assembly of hitters. Is he coming back? Who knows? Who knows? Paid him all this money, but but back to uh, the first baseman. What's your take on him? Is he? The, you think he's like another Aaron Judge kind of level player? Uh, I obviously need to see more. Yeah, you know, and I spend a lot more time with the Yankees than I do the Mets. So, so I don't hard know what to kind tell. of guys, but it's impressive. I mean, his his power is indisputable. I mean, he's he's the real deal in terms of hitting the ball a mile. He can do it. But there's so much more to be done. There's so much more to a complete player, and I'm I'm thinking specifically of Judge. 
yesterday it was a nothing game for the Yankees. You know, they lose five to two to the Tigers. I'm sorry, to the White Sox. It was just a bad day. But inside, woven inside that bad day, that bad game, Aaron Judge had an two, unbelievable in the field, game. particularly in the field. Two big hits. Two big hits. He throws a runner out, trying to stretch a single into a double. And in the eighth inning, you know, the Yankees are down by three runs. He hits a routine grounder to short, and Aaron Judge busts it down the line. Runs, you know, gives out 110 percent, which he didn't have to do, but because of that, he forces a throwing error. And you know, that doesn't get recorded anywhere unless you were there at the game to see how hard he was running. He is a five-tool player to me. Yeah, he's really he, he, so he's becoming the core of this team. Back to your book for a minute. Back inside the empire, what do you think the key is that that keeps the Yankees this brand? What do you think? What, is it is it, you know George has now been there for a while, but this brand is continuing to grow and even probably get stronger. Yeah, well, p- part of it is is because now they are now investing in the right place. I mean, they, the Yankees were the last ones to adopt this business model. They were the George Yankees for a little too long, and it, it cost them. And they went years and years without winning. Uh, they had to get rid of some of the old contracts in 2014, 15, 16. I think Brian Cashman understands the industry. I mean, he's, he is a genius, and he's backed by Hal, who has his trust, and he's backed by a really smart businessman in Randy Levine. I mean, it was Randy Levine who took George's orders to go build a, a regional sports network, give me a yes network. Randy did it, and he said he also told Randy, I, I want a, I want a new stadium because George wanted to move the Yankees and really wanted to be on the west side of Manhattan, and it took Randy Levine to say, George, if you do this, people will hate you forever. Your le- your legacy will be tarnished forever. You will be the one who took the Yankees out of the Bronx. George thought the Bronx was just not was was beneath the team of his of his prestige, a team of that prestige that they deserve to be on the west side of Manhattan, sort of like the Orioles and Camden Yards. It, w- it would be interesting if it, they went that route, but but. Randy said, don't do it. it. It's not worth the damage to the reputation of the family, and the Yankees will never really truly be the same unless they remain the Bronx Bombers. So they built the stadium, and Randy built, not only did they build the stadium, they built the neighborhood around here, around there, and they built the, the train station, and it's a beautiful venue right now. I mean, now. you go to that stadium. I was saying this to, yesterday. I was there, and I was like, this stadium is probably safer than anywhere in the entire country. I mean, it just feels safe, even, even in the stadium. There is no shenanigans allowed no. right outside the stadium. I mean, complete total security. And the five-block radius. I mean, Solid. you remember how sketchy yeah. oh. it used to be. After, if you, you assume you were getting mugged. Right. You assume, like, ah, I got a few dollars for the mugger. If you were walking I got, along. You know, I'm going to get mugged. I mean, here's a few dollars for him just to get him off my butt. I mean, it, was, it wasn't that bad, bad, but it was, we, we, got, we got taken by uh, me and my friends always a couple times, like a year where you know, some bigger kids would kind of bully us or whatever and grab our hat, grab some money. Now there are so many cops, I mean, you know, walking around just in the entire neighborhood, not yeah. just in that block, but the five block. And they radius. really own this borough. I mean, when you think about the Bronx, you think about the Yankees. I'm just sad they didn't get the soccer. I really thought they were going to get the soccer across the street. That well, would have been cool. Hold on. It's. I'm not going to give away too many secrets, but you may get your wish. Yeah, I just feel like NYC is going to have their own stadium. We should build. You should be able to build off that. That's a major commitment. It's a major franchise. Like you should build off that. Like you know, I would. I would. I mean, I think you should build off that. Why not? Um, I mean, they're not having a good year this year, NYC. But uh, I agree with you. A soccer, a soccer team that's partly owned by the Yankees and Man City should have its own venue, and I think that's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a blessing they end up not going to Queens. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was close. I mean, I, I'm sure everybody was intense, but I, I think it's just better. It's better. One thing on the baseball front, uh, I mean, any, anything surprise you right now with what's going on with outside of New York? Well, 
I didn't think the Mariners would be this good. They'd get off to such a hard start. I didn't think the Red Sox would be so terrible. I mean, look, I, I don't think the Red Sox are going to win 108 games again. No. But I didn't think that they would be this bad, and I'm certainly a little have my eye on Chris Sale. I did not think that he would lose his fastball. I mean, he's had shoulder problems, you know, the last couple of years. He's got a funky delivery. He looks like he weighs about 160 pounds, you know, 150, 140. He's pitched a lot. He's bro, got a lot of like. wear and tear on a guy who's not who's not a big strong ox. Could Tampa come squeeze out of there? Maybe Tampa. They're so good on run prevention. They're so good. They do so many things so well. The only saving grace, you know, the only thing that might save the Yankees is that Tampa doesn't have the means to make a trade at the deadline. They just don't have a lot of money to expand the payroll. Imagine if they had these kind of business smarts and fundamentals and cash to back them up. Then the Yankees would be in trouble. But It was, it was cool that the Yanks locked down cash, but she probably would have been pretty highly sought after free agent, I would imagine. Yes, absolutely. I'm trying to watch the game last night, and I'm kind of watching the basketball. I'm going back and forth, but... Do you have trouble with this ESPN Sunday Night Crew? Is it or is it me? Because I don't know if they were really biased to the Mets last night. First of all, I mean they they really gave them way more. I mean they're losing the game, they're getting beat, and they just keep pounding on how good the Mets are. I'm just trying to figure out was that odd or it's a, it's a strange mix. And I will say individually, Alex Rodriguez is not a bad guy at all. I kind of like him. As flawed as he is, as many <laughs> stupid things as he's done and said. I, there's something lovable about him. And he's him. prepared. You know, he, he, he definitely re- works hard. People say, and he, it's the same way that he played baseball. He yeah. works his you-know-what off. Yeah, he does. And Jessica Mendoza is also a sweetheart of a person, really warm and kind and articulate. Gives good insight. She does. But, I mean, it's it's to me, business-wise, it's wrong to have her working for the Mets and announcing a game about the Mets on ESPN. There's a conflict the, of interest. The broadcast was conflicted, right? I mean, no it question. wasn't me, right? I mean, no I'm looking at, I mean, it was like when I was watching the playoff game with Tony Romo. I was standing in my kitchen trying to watch the game. I was like, man, I haven't been that into a game like this in a while. This guy sucked you in. Why well, could not get enough? I, last night, I'm like, wait a minute. This is like, is this Met propaganda? Like, what's going on in this broadcast? Well, Tony Romo is is so intelligent and <laughs> so able to articulate. I feel like he, I was in the huddle with him. I mean, he has a gift, you know, oh. to be able to tell the viewer what's coming next. I mean, the way he just can think two or three steps ahead is a gift. Now, some announcers can do it in baseball, primarily with a pitcher telling what sequence is, is coming next. Like, John Smoltz is very good at predicting yeah. the next pitch. Alex doesn't think that way. He's never been a pitcher. He needs to tell a few more anecdotes about players to personalize his his broadcast. And Jessica Mendoza, you know, she knows the game, although her background is in softball. I guess there's a, to me there's still a little bit of a gap between her knowledge of one sport as opposed to, to the other. But I have no problem with a woman being in the booth at all. No, I mean I, I'm I'm loving I'm loving some of the women on the NBA probably better than the men at this point. Yeah, I mean I, mean, I listen to Doris I, Burke all day. Yep. I mean, she's, she's unbelievable and gets tremendous props and respect, too. By From the players. There's no yeah, question. So they, she's they, getting the insight. I want a right. storyteller, too. I right. want the insight. I want a journalist right. as my commentator's point. I can see, like everyone else at this point, with all the angles, the replays, the storytelling is what makes it interesting. But last night, I'm like, I'm really struggling to watch this game because the way I see it, Atlanta's kicking the Mets' butt. I mean, they 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 played a, a brilliant game and really and, and I don't like, mean to, I'm sorry to interrupt, yeah. but I mean and they got to Degrom that second game, second time in a row, Degrom's gotten lit up. Something's going on there, you know. That's and what they you have stayed to, on the Degrom being the best player in baseball, but best pitcher in baseball, which is fine. He's a great pitcher, but I don't know. I just thought they could have given Atlanta a little more props and covered the game. Otherwise, I could watch from that broadcast. And get that. And the key. problem is when they do that, and one of the one of the announcers in the booth is a Met employee. 
Okay. That's now a you have to wonder about you worry about the journalists. And you know A Rod's such a big Mets fan, by the way. We know that. He always right. wanted to play for the Mets. But you know something? I would love to get this would be worth the price of admission, though. No, I would love to get Keith Hernandez doing an unfiltered game where he can actually say everything he wants to say in a series. Oh, man. Because with his knowledge and intensity. And, his, and he's a very opinionated, he opinionated oh. guy. I mean, I love talking to him. I mean, he was a pleasure to cover. He was such a fascinating guy, you know, going all the way back. If you really wanted to have an inroad into the Met the chemistry of that clubhouse, the gossip in that clubhouse, the things players were saying about each other, about Davey Johnson, you had to plug into Keith. And if he trusted you and he knew that you would keep off the record the things that he trusted you with, man, you knew everything. And because he's that kind of guy, you know? So smart and such a smart field you know, on the field. So smart. He was too. a true leader. I mean, yeah. he has had that ability just by his presence, just by the way he acts, the way he talks, the way he comports himself. He made the players around him better. Because he had this sort of John Wayne, man's man persona, and the Mets responded to that. Now, Aaron Judge doesn't have that quite that swagger. Players don't act like that really anymore. But he is a leader in that clubhouse. And you could see last year when he was on the disabled list for seven weeks, the Yankees were just adrift. I mean, they They're really struggled. they didn't have that. The question is, guy. who's 1A, Bob? Who's 1A in that on that team? Well, I would say it's Sabathia. In terms of the clubhouse respect and, and the presence, but you know he's on, he's just sitting in the dugout four days out of five. Yeah, and you have to, the leader of the team has to be on the field every day. Who's going to be who's going to be the next guy? Who's the next guy in line? Is is it a Torres? Is it well? The next guy is he's here. It's Judge. He's going to finish his career in New York. He's going to be playing for another 10, 12, years. Are they going to have to sign him early? Yeah, they should. And th that's the way the industry is going. And he deserves it. He he's earned it. He's already the face of the team, the franchise. He's going to be named captain at some point. And I think he is going to end up having a Hall of Fame career. That's absolutely where the Yankees will be. He'll be their hub and their anchor for many years to come. Can Stanton fit in? Uh, that's a good question. You know, he's a hard worker. You'd be surprised how much the players really like him and respect him because unlike Alex, he is, despite all that money, he is not a diva. He's the first one in the clubhouse, first one in the batting cage, works harder than anybody. He's there for really? hours and hours. He's slavishly devoted to his craft. Now the question is, can he handle the scrutiny? Can he handle playing a game in a market where every game counts, like the postseason? You know, in Miami, they were out of it by April 20th. and It was more easy breezy. Right. Now he's got the talent to hit 35 to 40 home runs, even in, in an average year. The question is, can Stanton handle October? I think that's the more relevant issue because I thought he was a little overwhelmed, you know, in the playoffs. The, mind, the mental mindset. There's a lot of question marks in the Bronx. It's going to make a fun season. Um, but you know something? What I love about the Yankees is, I, I mean, youth sells. So even as they bring these kids up, it's fun watching them. It's yeah. fun seeing them, yeah. yeah I, I mean, it's I'm, why I'm the Yankees that. drew so well last year because they are exciting. It's certainly better than watching the, you know, the end of the Alex, uh, Alex Rodriguez's era, career, that era, Mark Teixeira. I mean, yeah. nobody wanted to watch that anymore. We had enough. Alex was, Alex was an interesting character, man. He has made an amazing comeback. He has. I mean, I mean maybe one of the great comebacks of our time. He, you know, he may end up in the Hall of Fame yet. If there's anyone in that group, it would be him. Yeah, at first, right. I think. If there's anyone I mean, getting in, it would be him. He will not get in the first five ballots. I mean, people will just make him wait because, you know, he doesn't deserve a first ballot induction. And there's a lot of people still who feel like he just completely flouted the rules, lied, 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 sued everybody. I mean, that was a terrible strategy. And I'm sure Alex regrets it to this day.
Jeter, but he, he may yet turn it around. Jeter get in unanimously? I'd like to talk to the person who votes against him. I mean, he could be the second unanimous. Do you think? Yeah, I just got my vote for sure. I mean, you th- I'd like to think so. Is CC a borderline Hall of Famer, or do you think he's getting in? I think he's uh, just about to say he's going to get in. I mean, unless he has a terrible year, which would probably you know pull back some of the voters. But right now, he's on a trajectory to getting in. Yeah, I think so too. And he's likable. That's I think the likable and thing the character is what like showed it. me with Mariano a little bit. The, why he got the unanimous because the likability and being a good person and being a good guy. I don't think it's the end all, but it, it does matter. There's no question it matters. Look, look, Jim Rice got in on the 15th and final ballot. Now, he deserved just the numbers he deserved to get in earlier, but he was not a good ambassador for the game. He's a really hateful, negative person, and he had this corrosive effect on people around him, including the press. We are part of the we are part of the equation, you know, just like umpires are part of the equation. You guys fans are voting. Are, and fans voting. are part of the equation. We're all part of the same entertainment. It's why Kurt Schilling will never get in. He might. He might. But also, the amount of people that don't like him hurts. But it shouldn't matter. I mean, you can keep him off the ballot for a couple of years to, to, to send a message. But like, getting back to Rice, there's a reason why he was forced to wait until the very last year. Because, you know, you definitely have to be, uh, like I said, an ambassador of the sport. To that be could a happen Hall with Schilling, too. Possibly. Very if it's going to happen that way, I guess it would happen that way, yep. right? Yep. Are you going to be at the Mariano Hall of Fame? Oh, of course. Got to be Special. There. Yeah. Special. Yep. Hey, if you've liked and shared, get an opportunity to meet Mariano Thursday night up here at Steiner. Bob Clappish, final words, Inside the Empire, pick it up, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. A rare book, I might add. Thank I'm, I'm going to have to add this to my vacation reading because yeah, very I read well it. Very well written, too. But, you know, it's fun being on the inside with the Yankees. I tell people that, yeah, there's being a Yankee fan, but it's so interesting the way they run their business and consistent if you're a business person because – I, I love it. I've learned so much from them. And it's them. more than just business, too. I mean, there are player profiles in there that you will not read on in the post or on the Internet or on any chat room. I mean, I had one-on-ones with, with Judge, with Stanton, and, you know, they were really sort of let their hair down and talk about things that, that don't make it into the newspapers or tabloids. So for that reason alone, it's worth reading. Was there one interview that kind of surprised you there? Anybody that, anybody that we should be looking at? Well, the judge and Stanton. I mean, there's there's stuff there you'll say, wow, I never knew that about these guys. Because Stanton in particular, you know, he has. We don't know anything about this guy. Nobody knows about Stanton. Yeah. And we talked about, I'll just give you one little hint. We talked about the day he got hit in the face in 2014 and what a traumatic experience it was for him. And he really, really went back and relived this. You know, we talked in spring training. And, I mean, I was in awe. I was shocked at how honest and candid he was about thinking that he was going to die and, and the, the, the sensation of thinking that he was going to drown and choke to death on his own blood after he got hit in the face. His teeth were shattered and his mouth was filling up with blood and he felt the trainers, the medical people, trying to turn him over on his back and he wouldn't because he thought that he was going to die. See, that's, that's the effect it has on you and it's the effect it had on me listening to him. Wow. And, and he has, to this day, he has permanent nerve damage in his face, which he never tells anybody. There's a one little tell there's one little tip-off as to what's wrong with his face, but you're going to have to read the book to know. I love it. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for coming up. My pleasure.